This is a post credit scene podcast brought to you by 14 HQ. It can still be, you can just keep this in. Yeah. Nah, I'll keep it in, bro. <laughs> yeah. Kyle's sleeping on the job, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the time when the first day as a producer, you go like two hours late. Bro, he, bro, <laughs> man walked in here yeah, mid episode. That's insane to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> domestic, you domestic, know. unbelievable. <laughs> oh my god! You're talking of English breakfast, I had had one in ages. You know, I had an English breakfast bro, in, in time, man. It used to be a regular for me, bro. I'm from East London. You get me? The cafes are caffeine, bro. Mm, East everywhere. End. In fact, but I've had a couple good English breakfasts in South East as well. Yeah, come on, I was doing rehearsal. I was doing an R and D for some play Sick. in Berman, South Bermondsey, like at the beginning of this year, and I forced the cast to go for an English breakfast. I said, all right, tomorrow. Why well, just forced them? Because uh, sometimes people are just like, ah, oh, I don't know. But I'm just, you know, you just got to sort of drive them to do it. And bro, English breakfast, yeah, you start your day with a good English breakfast. Whenever I'm on set and they sort of like, you know, they come to the trailer and they're like, what do you want to eat? For me, it's always, I don't even, they have to ask by the end, always English breakfast. Yeah. And I get a lot, as I said, bro, four sausages. Jesus. Like, four <laughs> bacons, bare baked beans, eight slices of toast, eggs. Bro, and it feels like heaven when you're eating it. And you mm. don't have to eat again for the rest of the day. You know, the whole origin of an English breakfast was that in the East End, it was given to like mine dock workers. So they didn't have sense. a lot of money then. That's why it's called a fry up, right? You fry up everything and then just let them eat it. And then it would hold them for an entire day of work. Whilst they're working. That's it. so much sense. What? You get me? So that I just the learned whole... the history of, yeah, of, of English breakfast. Do you it. know, yeah? Okay, I've never had butter on bread uh, until I was like 20, bro. Wow, what, how come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the next, next question. I'm from a, I'm, I'm from a very African like 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 thing like household. Yeah, we, What's your background? We didn't put I'm um, Sudanese. Right. So so we never put you like, man. He's the East African connection. Yeah, you get me. Uganda's North, yeah. Northeast Africa. The Northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we never really put butter on much. You get me? Like it was, like I would put jam, like on my toast. No butter. But you like, love tea, innit? Dude, tea is a life. My mum, bro, yeah, she will have no dinner. Have like forty. Sudanese <laughs> tea. I, went, tea. I once went to Calais, France, right, to do this mm. documentary on the migrant crisis happening out there, and um, I, a lot of the guys were from different parts of Africa and the Middle East. Anyway, there was one section that was everybody was Sudanese. Like there was Come a on. Sudanese section, and that's where I spent most of my time because the tea they had in the yeah. mornings, elite, bro. Get out, bro. You would smell it. As soon as you got up in the morning, you just see the the steam rising, bro. And it's you like, know what it's called? It's yeah. called it's called uh, pronunciation. It's called nat nat. Don't shiver, people. <laughs> nat nat. Is there That's is the tea called. in Sudan similar to the tea that Ethiopians have? Because they're they're tea heavy as well. They're very tea centric. Yeah. So I think the English term is black tea. Okay, but it's um, but obviously like we like brew it uh, like a little differently, you know. Yeah. Um, but like. My mum and dad, okay, like the way they like they still make it in like steel pots and you know what I'm saying, like Sick. that kind of stuff. So we've got that shit at home, bro. Do, 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 do you know what I mean? And I copied it when I got back to London from <laughs> honestly, when I got back to London from uh, France, as soon as I got back, there was two things I was copying all the time because they always in when I was there in in Calais at the camp, they would have it in bread. So my yeah. whole t- yeah, you get me. <laughs> yeah. So bro, I was constantly going to buy French bread in the mornings, yeah, and making my own variant of Sudanese I'm tea. Up the same thing. Ah, bro, it just is. There's a homely African feel, like you feel like you're just 
in the sort of midst of the sort of the Sahel and you're just enjoying yeah, yeah. this very homely African meal. You get me? So. And that bread had no butter. You get me? Yeah, yeah, That's I didn't have it, but I just warmed it up. Yeah, man. All right, you've had just thinking about it, it's making me feel hungry. Oh, shit. Honestly. <laughs> Boys, well, post credit scene podcast, uh, 14 HQ OG, uh, myself, Gaz, host today. Shout out to the to the guys in the background. We've got Kyle and we, and Manny, how are you, bro? I'm, I'm good. You're not gonna shout out Charles. I was gonna, but he's Arsenal fan. I'm good because I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm an Arsenal. I'm an Arsenal fan too, by the way. Let's go. We, we should just lock off the episode now, to be honest <laughs> but, with you. But listen, Arsenal, 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 bro. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jason, yeah. But, 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 so, me, let's just pod me and you today. That's what I'm saying. Because, but technically, Jason's German, so he's a he's a he's a Dortmund fan. So. Dortmund's my first love. Can't lie. So did you like it when Obama Young came to Arsenal? Were you and and the other dude? Who's the other Mickey. dude? Yeah, yeah, Mkhitaryan. Did you like it when they joined us? Yeah, I was happy. I was like, if you're gonna leave one team. Come from United. Um, yeah, he didn't do that great for us. Yeah, he came from. That's the worst transfer swap of all time. Oh, yeah, oh, oh Sanchez and Mkhitaryan. That was an awful transfer. Everyone lost. Nobody lost that on that deal. Sanchez turned into a genuine ghost of himself, a bit like Torres at Chelsea. But Torres had moments though. But with yeah, Torres, yeah. He, he wasn't he wasn't doing well at Liverpool right before he left. Whoa! He wasn't the last six months. He wasn't uh, doing great. I'm a, a Liverpool fan, right? He actually actually the last game he scored for us uh, before he left was the week before he left. Okay, he scored against Chelsea. <laughs> funny enough, All right? Um, <laughs> but actually, okay, he he was injured. He played yeah. and he played the last month and scored uh, 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 I think three out of four games. Mm. So he was back on track. So when he went Chelsea, he was actually on form. Okay, okay. And it's mad to think that him, Suarez and Andy Carroll were in the same team for like a week. <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> my favourite Liverpool player, Not I don't want to get stuck on football because I do want to get into what we're talking about, but my favourite Liverpool of, player of all time, not, not of all time, but from that era is Garcia. Oh, damn. I used to love Garcia. Garcia. He was a big moment. Yeah, Garcia. moments. You get me? He wasn't yeah, always yeah, sick, but it was. Yeah, he just yeah. had this flair. So whenever they faced Chelsea in the Champions League, he was there. Oh, he was man, there, bro. Garcia. He played it in the Legends game like uh, two weeks ago. He's my really? He was cold. Your Spanish era. Spanish yeah. Yeah. Your Spanish yeah. era. Alonso, yeah, yeah. Benitez, Garcia, Benitez. In, in um, Stephen Gerrard's biography, he actually said that he was so angry at Benitez when. He got rid of all the Spanish players. Yeah. He tried to get rid of Alonso for Barry. That would always rattle me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Jabby Alonso is one of the best elements we've had in the Prem, so. Yeah. Of all time. Are we going to do a football pod today? When Alonso and Boateng played together for Bayern Munich. Oh, yeah. Alonso and Boateng for Bayern Munich was one of the. They were unstoppable because these men are midfield, central midfielders playing as centre backs. Yeah, yeah, you get me. Yeah, what Pe- an era. Pep was moving mad in the Bundesliga. Pep was moving mad. Pep was moving he was mad. playing back twos and back ones and five five midfielders, three strikers. He had to be mad yeah. though, man, because the season the, it was the, too easy. The, the season prior, the dude won a fucking a, a treble. He had to do something different. He had to do something different, yeah. fam. But guys, if you want to listen to more football content, go listen to Benched. The Benched this podcast. This guy, this guy, proper like uh, plugs Bench, you know. Don't you? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you, you know what? Because we get into football uh, content quite a lot, innit? But we need to remember this this bench there as well. My, my guy Charles, Bobby, and kids like them not do a good job. Yeah. By the way, yeah. Oh yeah, Hush, you was on the episode recently. I was on the episode, yeah, uh, when Liverpool lost Arsenal. You know, I was beefing these man. But oh, when you lost three two, just to let you know. Uh, I shouted out to shout out to Reese Nelson. 
because I he might be coming on on the pod. So shout out that. Yeah, yeah shout out him. Okay. So um, he 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 saw he saw a clip, the Arsenal clip, and he and he fucked with it. So he was like, yo, like I might come on still. So hopefully next week. Inshallah, to Allah, please God. <laughs> let's let's the show. let's uh, let me let me intro again. Uh, myself, guys, this is post credit scene podcast. Yes, Fulton HQ OG. Shout out to Charles and Kyle in the background. Doing an amazing job as always. Manny, how are you? I'm all good, my guy. Good I'm stuff. Best. Family's good, healthy, and all that great stuff. Amen. Hosam, how are you? Yeah, man. Breezy, breezy. Always good. Busy guy. Busy guy right now. Yeah, but it's all good, man. Yeah. Busy's better than not being busy, right? I guess. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Bro. Um, Jason, how are you? We all good, bro. We all in the building. In the building. From MK. From MK, cost of living crisis hitting, but we still thrive. Repping Germany. Via Germany. <laughs> how are you guys? <laughs> how am I? I'm good, man. I'm good. Slept well. Um, woke up fine. No hangover. Nothing, you know. Mm. Uh, so we've got a special guest today. Um, as, I, as I was going to say, we, whenever we have guests on the pod, we always like to elevate them. And the reason we bring people on is to hear their stories and, and, and find out more about them. So we're going to welcome the one and only Alessandro Babalola. Yeah. Welcome to the pod. Round of applause. Great to be here, bro. Let's um, go. Listen, yeah, before yeah. the before the pod started, we were just outside busting convo for like 15 minutes just mm. about life. So we're really intrigued to find out more about you today. Creative, um, um, creative nice. artist. Thank you for coming on to the pod. How are you, bro? Uh, sorry, just let them hear that part again, what you were about to say. <laughs> I want people to hear that I'm a... Like, oh, we're going to repeat that for the for the people <laughs> listening. Creative artist. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round of applause again. Thank you very much. How are you, bro? I'm great, bro. It's sick to just be in the company of uh, my fellow black artists. Mm-hmm. You get me? So it's, it's, it's good. I'm glad. Look, funny story. When I got message about this podcast, right, I actually didn't know what the podcast was about. Right. I didn't know. I just knew that Huss... Oh, sorry. Go on. Who? I didn't know what the podcast was about. I just knew that Huss was an artist. Mm. And that's why I came, because I'm an artist. And so and another artist, another black artist particularly contacts me okay let's do a podcast i'm thinking so it's not going to be some social thing because i'm not here to talk about body counts, body counts yeah and how, much, in, all and how much we should spend on girls i'm here to talk about <laughs> who brings what to the table you understand bro <laughs> i want to talk about art because that's all i ever really think about it's yeah. all i ever really do it's like after my son and like immediate family it's my main life priority is mm. just being an artist so yeah For our, man. our thing is that um as I was saying, we like to elevate the voices of people, man, and get to get allow our audience, I guess, to get to know people more. Um, obviously, people have seen you in particular shows and movies, but obviously, there's more to you than just that. Yeah, so we're gonna deep dive into that. Sick. Before we do so, we're just gonna talk about what we've been watching and why we think other people need to be watching these things. Mm-hmm. Our interests, what we've been up to in the last couple of weeks. So I'm gonna start with you, Manny. Mm-hmm. What have you been watching in the last couple of weeks, um, and why would you recommend it for people to watch it as well? Uh, oh, I bet well, it's like shit, bruv. I was, I was gonna say she walk. Do you think that shit? I think it's sexist if I say no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a big focus on the, on yeah, that to be there. She was great. She was great. Manny um, gone. Yeah, I, um, I watch she walk. Um, one thing I'll say about it is, uh, I guess, a different take in regards to different MCU series. I did, I did enjoy it for what it was. Um, yeah, it was funny. I know a lot of people had issues with the final episode. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah. I won't, I, won't, I won't really get into how it is, but I didn't mind it. I enjoy. Are we going to have space to actually talk about it at some point? Not maybe. One hundred percent. Yeah. yeah Are we going to wait for you to have watched it before we talk about it? I'm only two eps behind. Terrible. I, I was six eps behind two days ago. 
Is it? Oh, I have, I have, I have, I have, I have more, more of a life than you. That's a quick. That's a quick. What kind of life do you have when you can't watch uh, shows? Uh, man. Oh, when you're on a pod about TV yeah, and film, exactly. what kind of life? Puss. No, what I'm saying is, okay. Well, so, uh, what was. <laughs> but yeah, um, apart from that, I don't think there's been um, much else. I've been reading quite a lot recently. I can't lie to you. Amazing, amazing. Huh? I said amazing. Yeah, thank you, my guy. Um, I can see that you bought um, a, 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 a nice book here as well. Oh, it's a fantastic read. Yeah, fantastic read. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I, do, I don't really have much to suggest. She York, I would suggest that um, take it for what it is and, and enjoy it. Okay, cool. Uh, Hosam, I love Jamila Jamil, by the way. Oh yeah, she's yep. in She Hulk, and I just think she's just so cool, charismatic, very charismatic. <laughs> she, she, no, she done a great job. Yeah, yeah. She Hulk yeah. Uh, Hosam, uh, Ring of Power. I am watching okay. that right now. Would you? Um, would you? Firstly, would you recommend it to people? I would definitely recommend. Okay, it to tell people. us why, bro. I <clears throat> see, um, see, see me yeah, like I, I think it gives me it's like a it's like a warm feeling yeah because I, I'm like Game of Thrones was inspired by Lord of the Rings okay and and what what is like incredible is that you can see the direct inspiration and the way that it's been shot I feel like Amazon are just getting better and better at the way things look I'm not saying that their storylines are always fantastic okay but the way things look here yeah, they definitely have they definitely have the peas <laughs> well for these I'm, I'm sure Jeff has found the money somewhere yeah, yeah. but like Knowing that Jeff Bezos here, who personally I don't rate anyway, okay, but um, he was at the premiere of, of Ring of Power in London. So for him to be there, bro, yeah, shows how much of a fan he is, shows how good he wants it to be, right? I guess it's, 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 a, it's, a, show, it's a show of his commitment to, yes. to what yeah. he's trying to do. And it was like, I've, um, I want an episode five, like five or six, okay, or something like that. And um, aesthetically, it's stunning. And my I say it is aesthetically better looking than House of Dragons. Uh, okay, the storyline isn't as strong, but it is strong enough. Okay, where like you're really believing mm. um, these plot lines, you know, Amazing. and they've kind of elevated the movies uh, and made it feel like one long movie. Whereas I think House of the Do you mean they've elevated series? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, Just, yeah. I didn't want to. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. No, fine, fine. To make it feel like one long movie, you, okay. you know. So. Um, I really like I really fuck with it. I think the second episode got me and I was like, okay, there's a lot more it's a diverse cast, which is um one L that I think Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit took. Uh was that there wasn't many diverse people in there. <laughs> and I think House of Dragons and Bring of Power have a more a, a diverse range. It would be interesting for me to do some research on on sort of the people behind the show as well. So I know, for example, yeah. House of the Dragons had a lot more women involved in terms it of did, directing yes. and screenwriting. And I've got two friends in House of Dragons. Amazing. Oh shit! Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch it, so I don't know what their characters are called. But they're the two. Um, they're the two uh, uh, mixed races. Oh, uh, they're black. Biracial sisters. The two biracial sisters oh, with the blonde yeah. hair, the long blonde hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah, those yeah. are my two friends, Bethany, Antonia, and Phoebe. Shout out to them. And um, yeah, 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 that's amazing, man. One, quick one. Would you say? Would you recommend for, uh, for people to watch uh, Ring of Power if they haven't watched Lord of the Rings uh, films? You think you still watch the series while watching the films? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you definitely can. I think the. Uh, I think the difference is okay is that you know that, that that's a very that's a very hard question just because my experience is heightened because obviously I watch the films right yeah. um, but I would definitely say yeah, uh, yeah, go, go, go. oh but I would definitely say uh, 
your experience will be sick if you watch the films first. But because because this is set way before anyways, yeah. I, I think it's set in the first age. Okay. So if that's the case, then you can do it and then watch the films. That's mm. that, that's the right order. So yeah, but calm. It's dope. Alessandro, I know you're not a series guy. Do you want to tell us why firstly? I'm, yeah. yeah, I don't really watch series just because uh, it's just it, the time it takes to get through it, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if I do watch a series, I will lose so much time to it okay. because I do find them so, what's the word? Um, engrossing. Oh. That, like, I, I won't do anything else. I, it's, it's too addictive to me. You understand? So it's, actually how addictive I find series that makes me not watch them that much mm. uh, what series was I about to mention yeah I watch all of it Joe in just one hit and also <laughs> but then here's another thing right here's another thing with me in series it's the fact that um, sometimes I can't be bothered to wait until it gets good mm. so if the first episode doesn't get me, I won't. I just won't continue watching it. All right, cool, like cool, cool. there's ADHD tendencies there, bro. Yeah, I'm watching it. Ah, oh, what's happening in my phone? Okay, I'm not bothered about this show anymore. Mm. You understand what I mean? So that's why sometimes with series they have the luxury of time to build up, but I don't. I don't. You haven't got the time. I don't offer them that luxury exactly. So, but not that it matters to them. Like they make their money irrespective of whether I watch it or not. But the yeah. point I'm making is that, personally speaking, I don't. I can't be asked half of the time it's so funny we won't get into it again but we had a conversation a few weeks ago about whether TV shows or series can be deemed as franchises and then Huss and Manny were talking about Huss was saying well you know you need so much time to build a plot for a TV show and Manny was like well TV shows can still be franchises well, it's such a great conversation check it out on our last episode um, but yeah what have you been watching in terms of film then okay man I revisited AI artificial intelligence by Steven Spielberg in brackets by Steven by Stanley Kubrick as well, in brackets. And yeah, I just love that film, man. You know, my whole thing is existentialism. That's like my favorite topic okay. on earth of everything, bro. Like I consider myself, if somebody was to say to me, what genre of artist are you? I told them I'm an existentialist artist. I'm an existential artist. That's like, you know, Picasso was cubism. I'm an existentialist. You understand what I'm trying to say? That's what yeah, I do. Yeah. And like anything that sort of looks at our world and questions our place in it and questions the concept of what is truth, what is authenticity to my world, that's what I'm obsessed with. And I just love, this is why I love futuristic things because everything gets so much more existential because in the future, the concept of what is the truth has changed, mm. right? You, you, you go back to the past, once upon a time, certain views were the truth of that era, mm. right? Yeah. So... They actually believed people. I mean, look, I actually believe spiritually. I believe in things like witches and all that. I'm Nigerian, right? So I actually hold those beliefs. I believe that there are witches. I believe in Babalaos, all that kind of stuff, right? I actively believe in them. But like, there was a time in which if you were just, I don't know, a bit different, then you were considered a witch, like in some old English time. And they'll chuck that person in the sea. Like, this is how they'll test it out to work out if the person was a witch. They'll throw them in the sea. If they floated, they were a witch. And if they drowned, then they weren't. Yeah, Ellie boy. And obviously, mostly, you see what I'm trying to say? And, and there was no way of the person coming back. Now, you have to understand, in that era, that was truth. Mm. That was truth in that time. It was truth that that was a way to test if somebody was a witch. It was truth to just go, you're a witch. And the whole world just accepted that. Once upon a time, it was just the norm. But you see now, that is like, that is a barbaric 
yeah. even that isn't a strong enough sort of condemnation of what that is in this mm. day and age. So, so the concept of truth is even ambiguous in itself. Because and that's why I love existentialism. And that's why I love futuristic things. And that's why I love Black Mirror, which is a series. Oh. I adore. Oh. So I love Black Mirror. Favorite, 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 give me your favorite. <laughs> ah, I got a few, bro. I got a few. I've got a few. Um, I love 15 million credits. I love yeah. Sandra Napero because that yeah. is so existential. Great episode. I think, in fact, I think. Ooh, oh man, we could do a whole Black Mirror podcast, you know. But wait, wait, let me yeah. just. I love the episode where it's the boy that's a paedophile, right? Yeah. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. dots. Whoa. Insane. That's crazy. The intensity. The intensity of that, yeah. man. I love, I love the the prime minister and the, the pig. pig. Yeah, the pig. Man, first episode, first episode, first bro. First episode. Black Mirror for me and is just like, and it kind of told the story of the future. In terms yeah, of, yeah. I love the one. I love the one where the entire history of you, where oh, like, yeah, they yeah, can yeah. sort of log into their mind, right? Yeah. And like, because that is so true to life. That is so true to life. Like, you know, just you know. It, the way it deals with paranoia and anxiety and sort mm. of fantasy and all that. Yeah. You see the entire history of you, obviously it's called a grain. If you had the option to take it, would you take it? No. Okay. <laughs> never. Like, bro. Like, what never. Else? Nah. Nah. Yeah. But out of fear, though. Yeah, same. Is it, is it, I, just, I don't want to be able to log into all my memories. No, I'll, be, I'll be obsessed with it. I'll be keep going back to moments where I should I'm be. nostalgic enough as it is, bro. I just put on songs sometimes, bro. Yeah. I just put up songs. Thing is, though, and, is if you have, you know, like... If you see with like an Insta baddie or something, and you just want to keep going back to it, you know what I mean? Like, what if I gain bare weight or something, and I'm just like, yo, I'll never see him with nobody again, and then boom. Well, because you watched it back. I can, I can just, I can just go back to it, and I'd be, I'd be like, what, what, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, that would be cool. It would be, you, that, it would be you to to come up with that to be fair. But um, just before we move on, have you seen X? Ex Machina, X Machina, Machina, Machina. No, I haven't. Oh, I should watch that. Bro. I think I'll show you yeah, like. When I used to do like shows, we spoke about it recently is the capture. Okay. Yeah, brilliant. Manny, you might be able to give a better breakdown of it than me, but it's basically a show about um The Capture. Yeah, it's BBC. Really good drama and it basically gives uh there's basically like intelligence working behind the scenes to correct things that are visual. So like they can correct a CCTV camera to make it look a certain way. So for example, if I've walked down the street and I've shot someone, they make it they can change the camera or change the footage to make it look like someone else did it. Mm. Or they can frame someone to look like they've killed someone even though they didn't. Norman's based on deep fakes and all that, right? You know, yeah, it, 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 um, it is. A qu quick segue, another film. Oh, Akira. Yeah. That's oh. why I'm wearing a t-shirt and this is my favorite character, like Canada. I love Canada from Akira. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. I love Akira, I love the film. I love, you know, I'm actually making a, I'm writing a play now for the theater. That is even like heavily inspired by it. Okay. But then if you watched it, you would never go. If I didn't tell you, you would never say that. Mm. But this is what I think. I think the most beautiful way to sort of be inspired by something is when you're inspired by its essence, but a person who's watching it can't tell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I love Interstellar. That's another film I've rewatched recently. Oh. Rewatched that film recently. Space Odyssey. Rewatch. I re. You know, it's funny. I I tend to not watch films twice, right? And that's actually who I am. But you know, when I do watch films yeah, twice, particulars. right? If I've watched the film first time, I saw it as in the cinema or like AI. We wanted to first see that film when I was like eleven. Mm. Different perspective. So, you know, watching it now, it's a completely different experience. Interstellar. Um, I watched that when I was in this Christopher Nolan hype. You understand yeah. what I'm trying to say? He was so, in his bag. He was so in his bag. You understand, but then it's different to watch it as just an independent film and forget about the fact that Inception and Prestige mm. and all these other films and just watch it for Interstellar. Like, 
you know, in its own right. And I then sort of watched it almost as a partner film alongside Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. Mm. And like when you watch those films, almost like, you know, in English literature, when they say compare these two films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, English literature or film studies, but I'm thinking of it from like a novelistic perspective. When I watch those two films comparatively, man, the inspiration I got, whoa you get me so interstellar and just another film that is very existential that deals with like you know humans and our relation to the universe Mm, yeah Yeah. you know what i mean and i think those large topics those gigantic topics that's what that's what i find gripping Mm, filmically so yeah cool this is a post-credit scene podcast brought to you by 14 hq uh jason Yo. Mr. MK, Mr. MK, our German uh, correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> what, have you, what have you been watching? I know you've always got something interesting and different that you're into. Give us the insight, brother. Well, as of October, the spooky month, I've been watching quite a few horror films. Um, uh, quite uh, The one I'm going to talk about, but I just want to give a quick mention to the sadness. Taiwanese horror film, it's on Amazon Prime, watch it. But the one I want to talk about is called Incantation. Um, it came out earlier this year. Been hearing a lot of noise about it. It's a Taiwanese horror film similar to like The Exorcist. Okay. And if you've ever seen like Asian horror, like you know, uh, Asian horror is always scarier though, man. That's what I'm saying. It's always that's worse, I, fam. An incantation, <laughs> I think, is the best horror film of the year. All right. And definitely that's, watch it. That's including Nope. I'm not watching it, by the way. I mean, Nope isn't. Nope isn't. That is that's kind I mean, of an existential. Very existential. That's a, yeah. that's, that's, that's a big very, statement. Very existential. existential. I like Nope a lot. Right, sorry, random fact in Nope, they do have an Akira reference as well. They yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, but oh, Nope. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Incantation, uh, best horror film of the year. It follows the story of a mother and her child, right? The mother kind of like got inducted into a cult. and oh, Of course. You know the the cult curse that she caught is kind of like placed on her daughter and it's her just trying to release that curse on her daughter uh what makes the film so amazing is i think it was filmed on an iphone what swear i think the entire film was filmed on an iphone i'm not too sure but like definitely from the like i'm not too familiar with the terms but you know like the actual like the view of aspect the ratio aspect ratio of it like it looks like it's been filmed on a handheld kind of like camera or something like that yeah and things like that you know similar to like kind of like with Blair Witch and everything it just makes it feel more real and I hate all that by the way and I came away from that film thinking fuck like who you watch it with I watch it by myself on my own I watched it by myself on my own and I was I came away from it thinking like fuck let me go pray for a bit this is why Joe was a tap bro okay <laughs> who watches that stuff by themselves I don't co-sign that statement by the way well, I, upset, I, bro. I don't co-sign the statement that they're tapped they're wonderful human yeah, beings we are <laughs> wonderful we are wonderful but anyway wonderful. Uh, nah. the, the words of hers <laughs> does not represent everybody <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> nah but honestly like if you're into horror and especially into like kind of like I don't want to say like cult horror that's the word I was looking for that is a film that you need to watch cool yep so I'm stay clear great stuff um I have been re-watching a BBC drama called Luther. I spoke about it in one of my previous episodes. Big up. Um, but yeah, Idris Elba is the, the lead 
who and he is fantastic as the friend of the show. Fantastic, amazing. Yeah, he does a really, really good job. Um, the premise of the show, he's Disa Alufa, who is a very, very smart detective. Like there are things that he sees and understands about criminals and people that he's trying to capture. I guess that no one else, no <coughs> other DC or police officer would be able to understand. Um, but he also fight. He also battles a lot of demons mm-hmm. um, in terms of himself as a person. Um, he has a character called Alice who he has a very strange relationship with Um, she herself is also a very tapped character quite Mm. literally very tapped but I think that's why they understand it Wilson the actress amazing performance yeah phenomenal she does a great job of making you understand that she's very clever but also very tapped which I think is why their characters go so well together Um, but Luthor fantastic the drama's just they build up really really well Uh, I heard Correct me if I'm wrong, okay, but it's what, this is, this is what, what I heard that the Denzel Washington film, what is it called? The one where he's got like the time, he's like, and he's doing all that stuff, and he's like a secret agent or, or whatever. Okay. Uh, what's it called, guys? Someone, someone. Oh, Nobody? What, Denzel, what, go on. What kind, of, no, sorry, what kind of film is it? Uh, he presses the watch and then um, he starts fighting everyone. And he's Equalizer. Like, Eli. Equalizer. Oh, Equalizer. Equalizer. So I, I heard that Equalizer was semi-inspired by the character of Luther. Really? Yeah, that it was... It was it, obviously, they made like an extreme version of it, but to have like somebody uh, that was in like the police slash, you know, it's obviously less... System, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and then have them at, um, at like an unknown heightened level, mm-hmm. you know, that it wasn't like a superpower, no, but it was like a... Okay, yeah, I'm with you. I'm it, with you. Yeah, okay. it was okay. like, you. it was good enough to be like, he's really smart, but not so good enough to be like, this is like an alien sort of thing. Like, <laughs> Do you know like I mean? he's got like higher intuition. Exactly that. Like divine intuition. Mm. Yeah. Exactly that, yeah. What's, um, what's really interesting about the show also is that a lot of the criminals that he's sort of going after are also very, very tapped human beings. I've used that word quite a lot, um, but it's the only word I can sort of find for them right now. Mm. Um, but Luther's understanding of the way the criminal mind works is what's really interesting. Mm. Um, and because he's so good at what he does, yeah. his superiors or superior, who's uh, Martin Schenk, I believe, is kind of in a in a catch-22 where he part of him wants to reprimand Luther for some of the things he does. Yes, but part of him knows that Luther actually does it with a good heart mm. and he's sort of caught in a conjure of, this is wrong, but this is going to lead to the right situation or the right mm. answer. Mm. Um, so I'd highly recommend Luther as a rewatch. It's it's five seasons. Each season has four episodes, other than season four, which has two. Wait, is that it? Yeah, five to five, four. Bro, the reason why I've I've never watched it is because I thought it was like twenty. No, Luther's like per, per. I think the first couple maybe have six. I think it's one of the best best British series of all time. It is superb. Yeah. I, I fact, think I've undersold it. And the fact that so much of it is in South East and East London as well. Yep. That's a makes it more relatable. Yeah, yeah, because you're seeing locations that you just know. It's Jordich, I see my area. Yeah, I see. he lives in the southeast London estate. Yeah, yeah. You see, when did um it finish? Twenty fifteen, maybe fourteen, maybe. So not even that, not even like a long time ago. No, 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 no. Fair enough. And it's it's obviously at this stage, Idris Elba isn't necessarily a young actor. He's very much in his bag. He understands Correct. how to command the screen, which he did anyway as a young actor. But you know. I have to give him huge credit. This, this series is really, really, really good. And if you haven't, BBC iPlayer, you can check it out. I believe it might be on Netflix as well. But the character feels so relatable just because of it. It's a it's a great portrayal of like 
of how you can be broken on the inside, mm-hmm. but like you just have to go about everyday life. Like you know, Every when you day. even get away from like the the sort of uh, the grandiosity of the crime, right, yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. just come bring it back to him as a human being. In his in his in his house, how, how he exists as just that lone wolf, bro. Crazy, like minimalistic broken, as well. You get me, but also just broken on the inside, the melancholy that is just constantly in his soul that he just carries, bro. But you know, just getting through life, and it's very there's a real sort of existential. Um, not dread an ex the character is a very he seems existentially tormented yep do you see what I'm trying to say and yeah I I just when I watch that even though I'm not a crime fighter and I'm not like you know what I'm coming from I'm not trying to work out I for some reason relate to relate to the character you know for just his like for just the way life he just has to navigate Navigate the difficulties of life as a as it's a just, black a man, human character. Yeah, man, and Idris. And what's really interesting yeah. is that as his time goes on, the the pain only piles up through yeah. certain things that happen through each season. Mm. I'm not gonna say what happens, but he loses a lot of things by each each season. He loses something. He loses something. He loses something. And by the end, you can literally see he's a broken man. Like he's got he he's willing to basically be finished with with life. Yeah, man. You know, so I love the scenes where they just go for an English breakfast as well. You see some of those scenes? Some of those scenes like, back, you get me, where they're just in a cafe or just walking down the street in East London. Like, oh man, that that show is so like. Sometimes it feels like um, like a sort of, I don't know, like London tourism thing. You get me? Like yeah. when you're watching it, you it's do feel, into London life. Yeah, man, it's mad. I love it. I love it. So yeah, I hope I've sold this show to whoever hasn't watched it. You sold it to me, fam. Can't lie. To, to be fair, um, if you told me British police drama. Always cash money. They always, always do a good job. Yep, yeah, I would say it's up there with people tend to speak about Line of Duty, the bill, and it's up there. Luther's up there. Luther is up there. So, my dad used to write for the bill. I swear down. Holy damn. Let's get into that. Talk to me about your. your we want to get, know about your childhood. Um, where you grew up, what it was like, <coughs> and what were your interests as a as a young person. All right, bro. I'm an East Ender. What's East that mean? London. What's that mean? You get me? Yeah, man. Like East London, <laughs> born and raised, son. And, uh, you know, East London is an area that is full of characters, you get me? Yep, I'm yeah. very much one of them. I was very inspired by all of the characters around me. You know, Cockneys, had a mosque at the end of my road, a church across the road from that mosque. You get me, like, um, my mum and dad, London, born and raised. My dad's from Kensal Rise. My mum's from Stoke Newington and then Leighton. You get me, like, me, as I said, born and raised in Leighton, Stratford, like, on the border of the two areas. And... Um, Always been into the arts, you know, like, you know, as children, right, we live in a constant state of surrealism, you know, kids are, they just yeah. live in surrealism, right, that's just, I've got a son who's about to turn five, and like, it's so mad to me that like, everything he's experiencing right now, he's barely going to remember, right, but I'm I'm experiencing his life as a conscious adult, mm-hmm. but he's living in, they're almost in their subconscious, that's how kids are, it's crazy, because they've not no concept of public and internal, it's just the internal is public for a child you get me so like in that that's why kids love cartoons right you got to think of what cartoons are they're like crazy manic bright loud you know high-pitched kaleidoscope of you know just like things Mm. and and kids love cartoons because it it matches the the sort of how animated a kid's mind is and how they perceive the world so being a kid that was like that as we all are uh and I was, you know, I'm the firstborn, so I was an only child. Not for long, but like for like two and a half years. But like basically, 
I loved cartoons and all that and music. My dad played music around the house all the time. You understand, bro? But bro, let me tell you something. You're like, I love American music, and the reason why I love American music is because my dad only ever played that. Like, I grew up, yeah, thinking that like. Bobby Brown was still in the charts because my dad played it so much. You get me? Like <laughs> it was out the radio for you. You see what I'm trying to say? Yeah. My dad used to play Bobby Brown, Shalimar, you know, Jeffrey Daniel, the guy who taught Michael Jackson how to moonwalk, is one of my dad's best friends. The guy who taught Michael Jackson how to moonwalk is one of my dad's best friends. So that's like an uncle to me, Jeffrey Daniel. You Google it and you'll see his picture, and I can show you a picture of me, Jeffrey Daniel, and my son. Crazy. You understand? So Insane. I there was art around me. Like one of my godfathers is like um my godfather, sorry, is a theater director. My mum's an English teacher, my dad's a screenwriter. So basically Creative family, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want I don't usually like telling people that because it makes them think, oh, you're privileged, because I actually wasn't. Like I, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't have yeah, thought, I, you know, I wouldn't have thought some that. people some people hear that and they think oh so that's why you do it like obviously that, that's part of it but they assume that you know oh on those grounds you know you must have just been shoehorned him actually I wasn't because my career and my dad's career I are genuinely entirely separate mm-hmm. like nothing in my come up was actually related to my dad it was all my mum putting me in um <laughs> My dad inspired me because his scripts were around the house. I used to read them. My dad used to let me stay up late at night and watch films if I was quiet. Mm. So the rule was, if you if you don't make noise, if you don't make noise, if you don't talk too much, because I have the tendency to babble, as you can tell as I'm speaking right now. My dad said, if you don't talk too much, I will allow you, not even if you don't talk much, if you're just silent, I will allow you to watch the films. Amazing. So I used to just think, ah, cool, I'm going to stay ultra silent and bro the amount of films I watch as a child just sitting on my sofa but I'll be staying up till like 2am as like a 7 year old 8 year old 9 year old watching films bro Mm. like and any time a film came on it was a sex scene my dad used to say close your eyes like I wasn't like you get me so that's just how he would keep me not being able to see the dark dark stuff so like bro I watched Vanilla Sky you know I watched The Edge I watched um just man I can't even start listing all of them it was just so many films you know what I mean yeah and like you know anyway so my mum obviously realised you know he's really into the arts you know I used to like play films me and my brother I eventually had a brother my brother and my brother who's like a rapper he's an artist as well and he's a producer my brother and I would play gladiator in our room and when I say and when I say play gladiator I don't just mean the sword fighting scenes you know I mean like the nuanced scenes where they'll just be sitting in a cave talking. My brother will play those scenes, bro. Like, as in Jimon Hansu and Russell Crowe sitting in a cave talking about, you know, being excited to make it to the afterlife. Me and my brother will play those scenes. I'm talking like there's a film called um, Per Perfect Storm with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg. Old film, bro. And there's a scene where they're just on the ship talking about their love of being out on the sea versus how they feel trapped when they're on land. And me and my brother would play those scenes when we were young. I'm talking like nine or seven. We'd be in our room and we'd pretend our bedroom was the ship. And when it was raining, we would be like, you know, with the sort of Mickey Mouse steering wheel thing. We'd be like, you know what I mean? Like we're on a ship and we would play all of those genuine like dialogue scenes. Me and my brother would play that. You understand what I'm trying yeah. to say? So Can I ask you, bro. Yeah, yeah. You know that with, with obviously like all of us. You know, if we come yeah. from coming from African households, right? Okay, yeah. it's like my parents didn't really understand my creative journey until like I'm, I'm 28 now, bro. So until maybe like four years ago, you know, and and even even then for me it was like get 
a degree, do this, do this, do this, and then we can talk about what you want to do after that, right? Now, what is, and like that environment allowed me to have a creative career later than what I wanted, even though my mind was already there years ago. Do you know what I mean? Okay, like growing up, I was, clearly I was like reading comic books, do you know what I mean? Okay, and stuff like that. I was, I was proper into that world, but I just never had access to that world. Now, you grew up with access to, to that world um, and with the freedom to kind of like, uh, to kind of breathe in that creativeness, okay? So like, so you had a very different um, experience to a lot of genuine and generalized and stereotypical African um, uh, upbringings, okay? Yeah, so like, how would you say that affected who you are now? It just meant that I was able to indulge my 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 geekiness from a young age. Oh, That's what I would say, bro. I'm a I'm a proper geek, bro. I'm a proper <laughs> geek. I was a geek in school. Yeah. You get me? I used to go to the music room after school every day and just play piano for like ages. Don't get me wrong, I was also on a football team. I was also on a basketball team. I've always, my parent, my mum, when she raised me, she was very much try everything. Tip. But the, and yeah. she, so I went to like, just as a child, she put me in three different sort of like performing arts schools. You understand? That's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, Brat Pack Stage School, then KCK, which is Kids Culture Club in Leighton. And then I went to Academy Arts. You know what I'm trying to say? And it was Academy Arts, it was a musical theater school, bro. And cool. in that musical theater school, we used to do ballet, jazz, tap. Right, Broadway kind of musicals, you know what I'm saying? Like scenes as well. Bro, I even did ballroom and Latin dancing outside of that. Oh, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, and I was, you have to understand, bro, like, I was on the school football team. I remember like being in year eight on a school football team. After football, my coach is driving me and two of the other guys who live in Leighton back. And I'm saying, oh, sir, can you drop me here? He goes, what are you doing? I said, Latin and ballroom dancing. The guys in the car laughing like, fam, you what? You, you do that Strictly Come Dancing shit, fam. <laughs> I was, bro, bro, you know what? I wasn't even ashamed. I, I just went, yeah. Yeah, I do. Boom. Got out go. of the car and just went. Like, my parents basically made because they didn't see it as weird because they encouraged me to you know dance at the party i remember there's the videos of me at my birthday parties dancing and everybody's just sitting and watching when i was like two i'm just dancing non-stop in the middle there was a constant encouragement to like just express yourself embrace yourself so i never ever felt weird about being an artist and being a dork so that's how it affected me also the fact that my parents were both born and raised in london meant that they understood what this city could do for a person mm. you see what i'm trying to say and mm. they understood the, the, the multiple avenues that are available to you if you know my dad's from brent london borough brent that's the british home of reggae you know what i'm trying to say which is you know that's one of the black cultural explosions of this country my mum's from stock newens and hackney you get me so you get what i'm trying to say so like i think that's how it affected me anyway so then you know obviously i went to academy arts which is from art school did musical theater question on question on that experience yeah um like for example for me I i went to university studied journalism yeah I don't feel as though when I write, I can remember the things that I learned in journalism and apply them to my writing. Right. So I guess my question to you is, do, how have you applied those learning experiences into your life today? If, learning, if, if you have. Learning experiences from what particularly? From the from the, all the classes you was going to from a very young age up until, you know, your studies and whatnot. That's a good question. Bro, boldness and experimentation is the biggest thing I can say. That's like, I'm not very good at giving short answers. But that's really, that's my, that's my good short answer to that boldness experimentation the one thing i would say to every single artist like on earth if i could only give them one piece of advice based on what i've learned from my life and what i'm trying to apply going forward yeah. i've not mastered anything i have not you know i have not reached the apex in any single field of the arts I'm, it's what i want to do mm-hmm. i want to become 
a, an, a great artist, you get me? That's my life aim. And the, the advice I give to myself and the advice I give to all fellow artists, be it a journalist, a novelist, a cartoonist, a singer, a rapper, a writer, a dancer, is be bold enough to experiment because if you don't do it, when we are all 70 years old, whoever is 25 will be coming up with things you could have come up with if you were prepared to take risks. Yes, sir. You see what I'm trying to say? Just boldness. Going to musical theatre school showed me the power of boldness, bro. You see, African-Americans, yeah? They inspire me so much because they're so bold. African-Americans are so it. bold. They are so bold, it's not normal, bro. You watch you watch the film, um, Spike Lee's Malcolm X. Who would flipping interpret Malcolm X's life? You see when like Denzel Washington and all of them are walking with the jazz suits yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and dancing? Like in those zoot suits and like doing funny dances. Who on earth would interpret Malcolm X's life like that other than an African-American? You see like, bro, I was watching a music video of Chris Brown and Kerry Hilson, One Night Stand yesterday, yeah? And they're like two at the time, they were like, I don't know, like 24, like maybe like 20. No, no, they were like 22 and 25. You watch that video, bro, and you see they're all like dancing and actually dancing. Why? Tell me why two black Brits can't get away with doing that in a music video now. Mm. Why? There's a reason. Why can't two black British R&B singers? In the, is very, very much different. Very conservative in the way. Exactly. Very conservative. But, but you know who is as bold? Nigerians, Ugandans, Jamaicans, yeah, Congolese. Man. Everybody, yeah, bro, but then we true. come to this country and what Britain does, I'm telling you, man, is it makes us a bit conservative, bro. Mm. It puts this filter over us where we want to seem cool, bro. You get me? We want to seem cool. So then we get, we don't allow ourselves to just be mad bold. You understand what I'm trying to say? My, a friend, this girl said to me the other day, ah, oh, you're really unique, you know? I said, why? She goes, ah, oh, because you've got a high top. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my days! She said, do you know how you need? Do you know how brave you have to be to wear a high top in 2022? I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a hairstyle. I gave a talk the other day, bro. I gave, I went, I, I did a talk, and somebody was complaining after that he was really arrogant. You know, I would not have got that perspective of you from fam. Yeah. Somebody at this talk said, like, somebody. I, it got back to me that somebody had said he's really arrogant because. He, he beats around the bush, he doesn't get to the point and he keeps his sunglasses on. Oh, so I'm being asked questions and I can't give a stream of consciousness response. Mm. I can't think out loud. Like, what the hell? Mm. If you ask me a complex question, I'm gonna, look, your question was, what advice would you give? And look at where it's gone. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a human and I think, and thoughts have, they do that, man. They stream. They evolve, they evolve. You see what I'm trying yeah, to say, yeah. bro? But there is nothing unique and bold about having a high top. Yeah. It's just a hairstyle, yeah. right? But, 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 but don't forget, bro, like, we've all grown up in, in spaces like black, black, black creatives um, are not offered free spaces or safe spaces okay in order to think and and and, and show like a bro like a, i've done talks where like people i watch people in the crowd i give them an answer and they go oh and like it's more like it's not that they're impressed they're shocked understand okay so like we we are constantly unfortunately constantly in, in a space here yeah, where we're shocking people you know we are we are doing talks we are until, until the shock is no longer a shock so like, exactly i hate interrupting because your point no, is great no, no, but no, go ahead, go ahead. i guess as black creators and black people we are still uh, a fairly new group of people in england and in in the uk and for 10 10 years ago we wouldn't have had i don't know uh, which rapper can I name? We wouldn't have had a heady one in the charts. Mm. As an example of our mm. involvement mm. as creators. Mate, a hey, butter boy. And we are still yet to even be 
our true selves. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what the maddest thing is to me though, yeah? Mm. In 1993, Outkast released their first album, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. And Andre 3000, mm-hmm. when in 2001 or wherever it was when Speakerbox Love Below came, we all sat at home as young black kids and saw this bold, daring, adventurous artist. In 2022, we still not have an Andre 3000. Yes, facts. In England. And that's just the naturalness of the of the mind where we go from one stage and we're like, oh, shit, no, shit, no, no, I don't believe that. Bro, that's cool. it. And when I did acting training, right, we had this teacher called Lee Hart, big up Lee Hart. And he, one of the things he taught us was remove your filter, remove it. Mm. He said, trust me, remove your filter and get comfortable with being in the shit. As in, if I give a talk, like if I go and give a talk, I'm in a panel discussion, bro, I will pause for 10 seconds if I've got to think of that word. Which is fine. I don't mind. And I know that maybe some people in the audience are like, well, go home then. You know what I'm saying? I'm still talking. You know what I'm trying to say, bro? Like, I just think that, like, artists, yeah, we, all artists, bro, have to be really, have to really get used to this concept of experimentation and really daring to be different. And, and that doesn't mean forcing difference. It means embracing your own uniqueness, like mm. indulging in the concept of authenticity. Yeah. You get me? I think that the boldness of the people you mentioned, so like a Wiley, all the trailblazers of life or creative life. John Boyega. They tend to be bold. They tend to be bold and they yeah. lock down the doors for, the, for, for, for people, not just next generation, but generations before or in that generation to, to also then follow through and be themselves. You know? And I think we're seeing that today, but we'll... we'll and, like, and my point is, yeah, doing musical theatre, mm-hmm. musical theatre is so bold. You have to understand, being a little kid, yeah, I was uh, like, I was uh, seven when I first watched The Lion King, right? And then I was 14 years old when I first started going to musical theatre school, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, yeah, kid had come out, cool, great film, but everybody was watching Kidhood and I was watching Broadway musicals mm-hmm. and West End musicals. Mm-hmm. And you see, that's all really bold. There is no business. It's very like dancing hands, smiles, yeah? Now, I didn't grow up wanting to do that because I ended up leaving musical theatre. But the point is, it meant that I was exposed to that level of boldness from a very young age. And it made me, it meant that I had less of a, I used to watch Strictly Come Dancing. You understand? And the reason why I used to watch it is because I enjoyed watching the performance. I liked seeing all the sequins and the costumes and hearing all the songs and all the and how theatrical the dancing was, right? And like the, they used to have the orchestra that used to play all the songs. I used to love hearing renditions of well-known songs done by an orchestra with this black guy singing all the songs. I used to love the overall artistic theatricality of it, right? It was boldness. And so my st- mission statement unto myself and my plea to all artists is be bold because there is we are living in the most extreme political times in history right now not in history I'm chatting crap Hitler once existed I mean <laughs> in modern times yeah, Jason we are living in the most sorry we are living in the most extreme political times of recent of the recent era because yeah. populism is a mess right now we just had Trump we've got a mad government right now you, you get me like Boris Johnson and all that if they can be so bold bro you see these kids that have gone to the gallery and chucked tomatoes too yeah. on, on um, sunflower oil. Bro, you see Extinction Rebellion. I'm not going to lie to you, man. I love what these guys do, bro. I love it. I don't care if they hold up traveling the country. I don't care because I just don't care. I love how bold they are because it's just like what they're seeing is that we have a government that cares so little about the people, bro, that you've got to make a bigger statement. So they went and chucked tomato stew on Van Gogh's flipping point painting alongside the same museums where they got all the African statues that they took from our countries, bro. And when we asked for it back, they just said, oh, unfortunately it was done at a time that was too long ago. So it's a bit too complex to give it back. It's too complex to give us back what you stole. Now, this is what I'm trying to say, bro. As artists, 
we cannot be safe as artists when everything else is becoming so extreme. Mm. Yeah. We've got to be bolder. You understand? And this is why I love Lofter from Robots. And that's the end of my point. <laughs> great, great to be sure, but... Let's, let's, let's yeah, 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 yeah. Let's pause it here. This is a post-credit scene podcast brought to you by 14HQ. Of course. Yes. Over to you. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us yes. about your experiences of... Um, I guess of trying to be yourself and it not yeah. going, you know, going to plan per se. I've, yeah, I, I've got this like one story. I've actually never shared this before, man. Like, I think I've shared. I, are, you, I, are you opening up to us? I actually am, man. Yeah, I actually am. I actually am. I, I, I think this it's will take our, our space to another level. Yes, safe space for men. Yes, look at that. Yeah. As men, obviously, it's hard to open up. And, ah, okay, but obviously, you you're know, willing to do so. I'm willing to do so. Okay. All right. Obviously, like you know, I've I've been suffering from like a from you know a star for like most of my life you know like it's and it's generated because i came i was born in sudan right and i came uh i went to germany and from germany i went hold on hold on, hold on hold on hold <laughs> on you used to live in germany, what? To live in germany yeah. that's a secret that's a secret first of all i know he, he, and i'll respect for him he, he, i've always he, kept that to myself yeah? all the all, all the fucking no no no, no 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 you gotta stop for a second all this bim about germany did this all this time was so he's talking about himself it's self-hatred self-hatred now we're talking about open safe spaces for men i'm glad you opened up about that i'm glad you opened up we'll let it go but i'm 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 definitely making this back Anytime you I, see I, I German. I was there for like a year, fam. Let's relax. That's a long time. Like a year or two. Do you know what the funny back. thing is, yeah? That's a long time. Hamburg as well. Hamburg, Hamburg. Hamburg yeah. Oh, that's Hamburg. Same city I'm from. Can I, can I ask you a question? Same city I'm from. Can I ask you a question? Do you feel like, you feel like um, the Cube's home? The Cube's home, yeah. Do you feel like Cube is like home for you, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you been here less than a year? I've been here more than a year. No, you haven't. I have. We moved in here August 2020. So when did it start feeling like home to you? Uh, Immediately. Okay, okay. So by a year. I understand your point. Tell us about... But yeah, and obviously, like I came to the UK, so at like a very young age, okay, like I knew three languages, you know. So uh, because of that, English, German, exactly. So because of that, you know, I start to get a star, you know, because obviously my 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 brain at three four years old was bouncing between you know different languages, you know, and stuff like that. So I was going to like you know speech therapy and like that kind of stuff, etc., etc., to help me like work work on my uh, on my breathing and that, you know. But I was a very like confident like human being, you know. I I never knew that my, that my star was a bad thing until people would mention it when cussing me out. You know, I went to a very hood school, so like um, everybody would kind of like they 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 never mentioned it. In um, in Hayes, right. so like it was a Hayes and Hans community school. It's changed now to an actual normal school, but it used to be a community school. You know, it used to be like very bro. There was two white people in my class. You know, was, and and or twins. Funny enough, that way. was my same experience. I went to school in Peckham, and there was like four white kids in the whole school. And then yeah, bro, the bad like PC feds and all that. You know what I mean, like we we had we had all that, bro. Um, but yeah, like um, just just just, 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 just like fast forward. Um, yeah, it's just 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 a forward in sixth form. Um, do you know when you picking your like uni stuff and yeah. all that? Okay, you go for UCAS. So, like, we uh, in first year at the end of your first year, you, you have a meeting with your sixth form head, mm. and you talk about like um, what you're gonna uh, what you're gonna apply for and UCAS scores, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. So I, I went and the, and he was an Asian teacher. Uh, his name is Mr. Hatchem or Mr. Hatchem was oh, I forgot his name, but I think that's it. Mm -hmm. And we sat down and, and we chat and stuff. And I, I, at the time, I was putting together. It was, it was my first ever creative journey, right? Because I because I was heavy into sport. I used to play for QPR. I mean, I was very into sport. I was like a football guy, but I never was given the space to kind of express like like creatively. My highest score in school was English lit. I used to get A's and B's 
um, English yet, but nobody noticed that. Nobody told me, yo, let's go do that. <laughs> you know, so I was I was veering towards a sports centric university uh, d- um, uh, degree. So anyways, I, I have this meeting with him and then he um, he says to me, yo man, like, you know, what do you want to do? Da, 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 da. And I said to him, you know what, like, like right now I'm setting up a, I'm setting up a talent show for a bunch of students here, um, which, which but, but by the way, I end up having one of the, one of the members of Rizzle Kicks come through. Um, so like, I have like a, like a knack for kind of like bringing people together, maybe like creating something like super cool and I, I might even host it. And then he goes to me, Nah, you can't host it. And I said, why? And he was like, nah, come on, obviously. And I was like, why? And, he, and he's like, you know, because obviously your voice, you know, you're, because you, you star. And like, at that moment there, yeah, sorry. At that moment there, like, it broke me. Mm. And it didn't break me for like a week, or, it broke me for years. You know, I ended up going to uni doing sports therapy, what I didn't want to do. I was there for two years, hated it, left, and then ended up joining a a second uni where I had the best experience of my whole life because you there? Uh, broadcasting so fantastic yeah. yeah and it was and like my parents never knew about that conversation they never knew like the journey that I, that I that I went through and this is the first time that I'm sharing a story um, externally aside from just myself you know but like I went to my second uni and I met obviously my my, uh, my best friends I had a course that allowed me to ex- express myself you know mm. and in three years in being in that uni, I had to do five or six years of learning because I was catching up yeah. and I was I was living like a subconscious dream, you know. But it's just it's just that it's 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 like he didn't allow me to be bold. You know, he he took me, he brought me down to earth and because at that time it's like that mentor is the pinnacle of like they they tell you what to do because you're going to a new experience. They tell you what to do. So I took it very face on, you know, and I thought, I guess the only thing that I can do is kick ball, you know, because it, because it, it doesn't need my voice, you know. Mm. And that was a very, that was a very, like, mad example for me. But yeah. It's why you should never limit people. Yeah. First of all, fuck that teacher, not a friend of the show. First enemy of the show. First enemy of the show. The worst thing you can do is place a limit upon a person's own yeah. concept of what they're able to achieve. Yeah, man. The worst thing you can do. Because when you do that, man, you don't know you can that can happen. A person mm. but then the other side to it is it can inspire them to be better. Look at how it the adversity spurred you. Facts. Look at you now. Facts. You get me? Yeah. So obviously it was sad that he did that, but like it was part of that. As you, you called it your first creative journey. Yeah. You understand what you're saying? Yeah. Because you're in this position now and like mm-hmm. there's a resilience. I, I, I don't think anybody can get to their highest point if they've not dealt with a level of resilience. Facts. Yeah. Which is, which I'll bring up when you bring up Top Boy. So yeah. Amazing. Um, just on that horse as well, I guess you are, you, are, you are not in the position and able to take the lessons you learned from that experience. And when you're working with younger creatives who... Mm-hmm. They feel as though they're being withheld from doing what they want to do or can do. You know, you you, you can be there as a beacon of light to say, yeah, no, yeah, you know, you, you can do this, or you know, there is a appreciate pathway for you. Yeah, so. absolutely. So it's, it's a very very cold story. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, we're going to segue into one of one of the cultural phenomenons of, of our of our lifetime, anyway. Um, Top Boy is a show that I'm sure everyone here in this room has watched and has adored and loved for different reasons. Um, and obviously, I know the initial. I've spoken about this loads, yeah. Yeah. When people think Top Boy, the the reason people that I think that aren't from our world love it is because of the what what it quote unquote glamorizes, which I don't actually believe it does. So people will say a show like Top Boy is about guns and drugs and 
gang violence in the streets. And, and to me, there's so much more to this show, which is why I think it's so dope. And I think that that has evolved as the seasons have gone on. So for me, it was on Channel 4, initially when we had the initial cast of like Scorcher and uh, Asha D, Kano. I feel like the show's evolved and there's been so much more to it as it's gone on. Um, but Top Boy for me is one of one of my favourite shows. Yeah, definitely. Before we deep dive into your experience on the show, just guys, talk to me about how you felt about the show from when it was on Channel 4 up until up yeah. until now. Yeah, back to your example, you said like how some people uh, view it has is glamorising drugs and crimes. It's not it's never been that for me. For me, it's like it's just it's about the people in regards to it. Like if you if you been if you grew up in ends at all, you see characters in top of say, you relate. I know, you relate to them. I know this person, another person, I've I know seen this say, I've been here, I've been in this same situation. And it's not necessarily about um essentially the violence or the dark side of things. It's just about bro, the environment that you live in, you grew up in, and it's nice to be seen. Um, even even if you haven't lived that exact experience, it's nice you to know be, someone that's lived that. You know someone's lived that. <laughs> you, 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 you be, you've been you've been around that, um, and you know these people. You know these people. Um, they're your neighbors. They're your friends. So on and so forth. So yeah, that, that's that's what top, top boys to me, and and I really do appreciate even what they've done with the Netflix stuff, and I think they added a bit more nuance. They're hundred percent. They, they added yeah. a bit more nuance and I, I guess more characterization from not 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 the main characters, but the supporting cast, which I find I the supporting cast very very important. Out. Standing. Outstanding, outstanding, and 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 um, it it what I what I realized about it, it gave me a Christopher a Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight vibe where like at the background of of you know the Batman's and the action, the Joker's and the bad and 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 good, there was there Great was characters. there was like a political agenda, you know, and like it was almost as if um, in, in the Netflix Top Boy they created like a government. With, like within themselves you know and that was incredible like right. everyone played a role you know what I'm saying like you can argue like um, Dark Knight's not necessarily about Batman or Joker it's about Gotham I- exactly like, the same way Top Boy's not necessarily about being a Top Boy it's about that area yeah yeah yeah. But, yeah. yeah outstanding yeah for me Top Boy is, is, has so much to it it has the it, it does show the dark side of, of the world that we some of us come from or we are privy to or we have seen or we might be next door neighbours to um, but it also showed us the gentrification aspect of things in, in season three and f- season one and two of the Netflix show anyway. Um, and for me, it just, it's great to see something that you can relate to. And don't get me wrong, the conversation always has been as well. There are more to us than just this particular life and we want to see more than that. And it's 100% true. I think there's space for variety. There is space for us to be creative and, or there should be a space for us to be creative in what we produce as, as creators, you know? Mm-hmm. But the show does a very you know what as well the acting I must say superb superb mm. we'll get into Kano's acting ability which I didn't know he had and he seemed to evolve go man um, Asha D um, Jasmine mm-hmm. Jasmine Jasmine oh Bro. my days superb bro. your performance as Hayes oh Bro, trust me, you may not say that. Yeah, you, 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 talk, you know, I, I understand why you say that as well. But for me, your performance as, as Hayes as a character. Like... Hayes. Everything's linked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I love the show. Jason, do, do you have any just general thoughts on the show before we deep dive maybe a bit into the... Into yeah, just one thing, like, as you were saying, like the nuance and everything. I also do think it's universal because obviously growing up in Germany, I wouldn't necessarily... I grew up like in, in, in ends like top boy but i grew up in similar experiences and i know people from similar experiences and top boy is such a big big thing among black people in 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 hamburg Mm -hmm. Uh, all my friends like 
like Europeans, isn't it? Europeans, yeah. and but the thing is, right? Like, especially like, so I grew up in a Hamburg ghetto, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Which, what do they call it in German? What is ends? What's the word for ends in German? It, well, it's just called a ghetto. Right. Like cool. ghetto is generally a universal. Oh, cool, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, isn't it? But, yeah. um, You'd know that, wouldn't you? That. And then yeah. like. <laughs> Not to deep dive too much, but like, bro, deep dive. Best, if you want to deep dive, like, no, 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 but like, I know. So, so some of my best friends are in that life, mm-hmm. right? And well, Jason's got goons, blood. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of goons? Yeah, yeah not, 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 not to deep dive too much on it, but like, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's just like, like, it's crazy, like how a black ghetto experience is so universal, and even though like, exactly more nuances in, in in top boy, obviously going to be different to Hamburg, but like. It's, it's just amazing to see that wow i can find relatability in something even though i have not grown up the exact same way perfect well put it's just well what, what can i say when that you haven't already just, just something to add to that is like in regards to the universal stuff like we mostly get that from america america tv show and american music is how we grew up the wire yeah the wire, yeah, the wire. we get we get an understanding of uh, worldwide <laughs> worldwide blackness through that but for top boy to be ours worldwide blackness i love that phrase worldwide yeah. blackness for, for top boy to be ours and for it to be related to so many people outside of london and outside of the uk it's very very special it's power yeah. yeah, it's very powerful. It's power. Um, like La Hen, mm. La Hen, the French film, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was so powerful. You get wait, me? wait, wait. Is Hen the film where La they Hen. go in some like tunnel and and and, and no, La that? Hen by Hen by Matthew. I can't remember the director's name, but it's got Vincent Cassel in it. Yeah. It's the film, the black and white film, the French one. Oh my days, yeah. Yeah, yeah? like uh, with the three. I've seen it myself, so yeah. You I man, watch it. that film, man. Yeah. Yeah. All I want to say is watch that hand, and then you watch it, and then the next time we meet, we're gonna meet again. We can talk about it. Cool. It is like the French equivalent of like Boys in the Hood. Oh, dope. You see what I'm trying to say? But like that almost is taken away from its own. It's very French, but it's also very ends. If you're from ends, you will relate to it in some way. You get me? It's just like an incredible statement on race relations in France in at that period in time, and just like. You know, like growing up in low income areas and feeling excluded from the capacity to take part in like, you know, the finer things of the of life and, and what you get up to as a result of that sense of neglect. A, a great film, neglect from the political class, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sick, sick insight. Um, interested to know how you how you got from Here we go. studying in, studying acting in, in sort of school slash university. What did you study in university again? I did a. I got a BA with ons. Come on, in acting from the Arts University of Bournemouth. First, of all, I keep leading forward. Round forward. of applause it's not for that. The difference is it? I can just sit here and do it. Right? You can, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, round of applause for that. Firstly, you know. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, how did you get from that space to landing a role on one of the most prominent Black British shows on streaming slash television? Firstly, I just thank God for it. You get me? Amen. Because man, that's the force that's just driving everything. But um. I'll, get, I'll take it quick, like, really quick for it. So I went to Arts University of Bournemouth, where I studied acting and theatre arts, you know. And um, I said I'm going to go quick and look at how slowly I started. But no. yeah, basically, we're here, man. <laughs> where I studied acting and theatre arts. And then first year, I didn't have a very good year, you know. I remember just doing okay. I was like, it's mad because I felt like I was such a sick actor before I went to university. Like. <laughs> And then I just got to the first year of uni, I was just okay. I wasn't even one of the best in my year. Anyway, then I wrote this list at the end of the first year of who I thought were like, 
like halfway through first year and I hope people that went to my uni are watching this because this was like a rumour but it's actually I did do it so basically I wrote this list yeah of who I thought were the best 10 actors of all the guys in my year uh there was sick women in my year as well, but because I'm a man, I compare myself to other men. Cool. So I wrote a list of the best ten, and I and I said to myself, by the end of the year, I want to be number one. By the end of uni, I want to be number one. Yeah. So I told myself, and I know that what some of the some of the people are gonna watch this, and I love that. So basically, yeah, like I wrote their names, and there was all these rumors that, oh, did you write that list? I heard you wrote a list because I don't. I think I told one guy who I thought was calm. He's actually <laughs> one of my best friends now. <laughs> <laughs> He told everyone in a year, bro. And everybody was coming up to me. And then basically, I started to get this reputation. It's like, oh, like, he's bad vibes because he did that. Bro, so basically, yeah, from first year, I'd almost become like a bit of like a public enemy in my year, you know? Like, a lot of people didn't like me in uni. <laughs> anyway. I remember at the end of first year, right? There was this big barbecue, like, that. Everybody from first year, second year, basically, and third year was invited to. Actually, maybe it was the end of second year. Anyway, end of second year, yeah, there was this barbecue that everybody from first year and third year was invited to, and I didn't get invited. Oh, Everyone was invited, but you know, I'm so used to just not being a guy that's part of a group. But anyway, so basically, first year, I wasn't one of the strongest. I just, it wasn't really too on top of it. Man, I went through depression in between first year and second year. And in that depression, I just, it's the arts that saved me, bro. I started playing jazz piano and I'm a, I'm a good jazz pianist now. You get me? Like, I started playing jazz piano. And the reason why is because I was watching these documentaries and I'll see these documentaries where there was just one black guy on the piano just playing and he was pouring everything into that. And so I got drawn into it. Anyway, when I come back in second year now, man, we'd had to do Shakespeare's. <sighs> I was so focused, bro. I didn't socialize anymore. Mm. I stopped going to parties, bro. I would either sleep or work or play piano. That's all I did. And then I started killing it, bro. I, we did Othello. Man, I murked oh, it. I murked it. I got a first, gave one of the strongest performances in the year by far, um, along, amongst some other great, really good, strong performances. And then, like, that was what set me on my path to understanding that I had. A, I had the capacity, I, I could be Matweedy. You get me? You see Matweedy, yeah? Matweedy is not the sickest footballer, but he can work. Mm, yeah. You get me? He's got a work rate. Blitz Matweedy. He's got a work rate. You get me? And that's what I've realized. I've got that ability. Mm. I'm not the sickest, but what I can do is I can like channel, I've got a power, I can channel my mind into going, just do it. You see what I'm trying to say? Mm. Just do it. Nike, bro. Nike, just do it. You get me? And so. I wasn't even the sickest person in the year. The sickest actor in our year was David Robert Ollie. I hope you're watching this, bro, because you were the sickest actor in the year. But the point is, yeah, I could c commit myself to just being as good as I needed to be, bro. You get me? I so anyway, by the end of third year, I, I got the lead roles in every single play. Amazing. You understand what I'm saying? And that was really because, as I said, I just went on a grind. I was like, I'm going to be... I'm not the best at this thing, but I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to be seen. I'll never forget, like, Henri in an interview saying, like, you know, uh, it wasn't Henri. Somebody just said something like, obsession beats talent yeah. a lot of the time. Hard and it's work, true. Hard, hard work, work beats talent. When talent you see what I'm trying to say? Hard. Something like that. So, but my boy, Sal Ali, who's a music video director, actually says obsession beats talent. And I was obsessed. You get me? So I became obsessed. Anyway. I hear, I hear it. But this is a funny thing, yeah? By the time I started to get towards the end of third year, I didn't want to be an actor anymore. 
that's what's mad, isn't it? It was like I put so much energy into it and I felt what it can feel like to do well even though I was only in university, it was like I wanted a new challenge. But it was also because I've always been more of a thinker than like a, a performer, which anybody who knows you will say you're chatting crack because you perform all the time. Like you do accents. Yeah, I do in my social life and I do for a living. So what I'm saying doesn't really make sense. But in my head, I know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I'm a thinker. Do you see what I'm trying it's, to say? It's what you're more passionate about. You see what I'm trying to say? And I like writing and like creating and like making beats and doing things that involve being the brain behind it. I've always loved Pharrell. You see, I always loved Pharrell. I've always loved Kanye because of his artistic brain. Mm. Anyway, moving forward, when I finished third year, uh, obviously, a little part of me was, I was oh, acting. I, I, there was something laborious about it. I didn't like just being a puppet. I just having to sort of bring to life other people's words all the time. Yeah, yeah. Nevertheless, I still did it because I'm not going to waste <laughs> a degree. So then when I got out into the world, I went to uh, Edinburgh Fringe. I did a play there. That went really well. From that, I met the girl that ended up introducing me to my agent. I went to Cannes Film Festival in a film I was in called by a girl called Marie Hélène Boyd, Marie Hélène Boyd, Marie Hélène Boyd, and it's a film called Samantha's Choice. And we went to Cannes Film Festival with that, Sick. an amazing experience. I got back, uh, did a whole bunch of plays, fringe theatre plays, toured with this company called Cesar Othello, etc., etc. Again, and then. My boy Elliot Warren, who is a sick writer and who's also in Batman, The Dark Knight, the most recent one, um, he he wrote, he wrote a play called Flesh and Bone. You know what I'm going to say? And like, he, he told me, I've got this character for you. Anyway, we did that play and that play, we did it at Soho Theatre. Oh, nice. In the end, that's where it got to. It began at Camden, etc. Theatre, a little theatre in Camden High Street. Then it went to the Edinburgh Fringe of Pleasance Theatre, which is like a big theatre. Then we went to us and we won all the awards at Edinburgh that year. Mm. Then we went to Australia to the Adelaide Fringe and we won all the awards Crazy. there. You get me? Then we came back to London and like this is I'm, now I'm gonna like this is really focused. So this is the top by part, right? <laughs> it's cool, bro. So <laughs> this is a post-credit scene podcast brought to you by 14 HQ. The cultural phenomenon that is Top Boy. Take us through your Okay, journey, so man. Top Boy. So I was doing a play at Soho Theatre called Flesh and Bone, right? I was doing a play at Soho Theatre called Flesh and Bone. And like, on the opening night, on the opening night, we had critics in, right? Crazy. And uh, I gave my performance and I felt like, and I, there was one part I messed up and I was so annoyed. Like, and I'm a perfectionist, really obsessive, you get me? So when I, I messed that up, I just couldn't stop thinking about it, man. You get me? Anyway, it was annoying. So the next day, the reviews came out and the reviews were good. Then the Offie Award nominations came out and that's the Off West End Award nominations. Mm -hmm. And I went to the nominations and I wanted to see Alessandro Babalola, Best Supporting Actor. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to see. And I, did, and I didn't see it. And I was so angry. I remember I was at home with mm. my son, with my mum and my brothers. And I was furious. Mm. I said, what? How? I said, I'm not, how can, and this sounds arrogant, but I felt like I deserved it. I worked so hard on that performance and mm -hmm. all the reviews mentioned me and gave me like acclaim. So I was like, how can I not have been nominated? I was so angry. And like my two uh, castmates got nominated for awards, best lead and best lead, best lead woman, best lead male. So I remember when I went into the theater that day, I was so annoyed, like not at them. I was annoyed that I didn't get it because I wanted that. Everybody knew like if I was to win an Oscar, I would want the best supporting actor Oscar, mm. not best actor. <laughs> not that I would reject best, best, best actor. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, yeah, my dream award is best supporting actor. But the point is I didn't get nominated and I felt so down. When I went into the theater, you know what I said to myself? Maybe they'll come again today. 
just be sick today. So I remember I didn't even talk to anybody. I just locked focused. In, locked locked in, in, differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tunnel vision on a different level. I went in. You understand, fam? <laughs> yes, that's it, bro. Like, I'm talking super saiyan. You get me? That like, man was focused, locked in, fam. And I said to myself, maybe they're going to be there again today. So if they're there again today, make them realise why you deserve that nomination. You get me? I gave my best performance. I was I, That night, I was so on point. Anyway... When I'm downstairs after the performance in the bar, right? Um, I got some of my old lecturers from university. They've come, big up, Ken and Catherine. They came to the Arts University. They they were my lecturers at uni, and then they were at the, they came to watch the show. Oh, that's amazing! Right, and then them. when they came to watch the show, they were just chatting to me, and we're all having a good chat at the bar. Blah 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 blah. Yeah 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 yeah. And then the woman who is now my agent, but she wasn't my agent at the time. Wendy from Felix the Wolf, you're you're amazing. Anyway, she came up to me, right, and she tapped me on the shoulder. And I said, hi, Wendy. She goes, you're right, love. Listen, um, there's someone who wants to speak to you. I said, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm just talking to my uni lecturers. I'll be with them in a second. She goes, no, love, I think you want to speak to him now. It's Ronan Bennett, the creator of Top Boy. I went, what? Oh. <laughs> oh. Wow. I kicked away. He's like, away, bro. <laughs> oh, come back, come back. I said, to my, I said to my uni lecturers, yo, it was so lovely to see you have a safe trip back to Bournemouth. I turned around, bro. You know what I'm trying to say, bro? Get on the train, say. You get me, yeah. you get me that. Uh, you know what I mean? The drinks are on me. Like, you know, gone. Bro, I went straight up to him. I'm not going to do his accent. He's Irish, but he was like, hi, young man. I really enjoyed your performance. I was like, oh, thank you so much. He's like, yeah, you were great. You are excellent. I said, thank you. He said, you watched Top Boy? I said, come on, man, I'm from East London. <laughs> I, I said to him, I said, I'm from East London. Of course I've watched Top Boy. He goes, okay. He was like, ah. Oh, uh, well, there's a role that I think I'd like for you to audition for. Crazy. In my head, I'm thinking, man, just give me the role. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm audition. saying? But yeah, yeah, yeah. See, he said, I would like for you to audition for. And obviously, I'm thinking, wow. I said, okay, great. He goes, you got an agent? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, cool. Well, we'll sort that out. Man, I got back home. I was like, right. Anyway, I'm going to make this quick. Next day, the script comes through, right? I've started reading my audition script. The audition is the day after. So the audition is two days after I met Ronan Bennett, right? Insane. I, I, I remember spending the whole day rehearsing, right? The, the performance, the rehearsal, the audition was before the theatre performance in the evening. So I get to Clark Conwell, go to the offices, did the audition. There's Hamilton offices, did the audition. I didn't even think it went that well. Remember when I did two two readings? First time, the girl was like, listen, that was too theatrical. Like, because I, I was doing a play, I was in theatre state, you get me? Yeah, yeah. She was like, bring it down. And I brought it down. She, and then they were just sort of like, thank you. And I walked out for, wow, hmm, I was nearly on go. Top Boy. That's what I said to myself. I was nearly on Top Boy. Man, I nearly was on Top Boy. And then, anyway, I go to do performance that evening and then my boy goes to me, how did it go? I said, oh, it was just cool, man. It was cool. But anyway, come on, let's just smash this. You know? If anything, I felt like the pressure was gone now. Let's yeah. just get back on with life. I'm a theatre guy, you get me? And then that eve, next day in the evening, my agent comes to watch, right? And then he goes to me, we're talking after that. Like, we're just talking about yeah, life and blah, blah, blah. He goes, it was so random how it happened. Like, just, he, he saw the show and he goes, I loved your performance. You were really good, blah, blah, blah. And just before he goes, oh, by the way, yeah, you got the call back for Top Boy. <laughs> like, as in, he said it Off like, he was Off like, yeah, I've got to run now. My train's coming. And yeah, you got the call back for Top Boy. So I'm going to send you the script. I was like, what? That's the first thing you say, blood. Yeah, <laughs> fam. So bro, but the audition was the next day. You get me? So I start reading for audition. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. I get in. I remember that morning, I text my boy, my boy Elliot Warren, who's like, he's a sage, he's very smart. I said to him, dude, give me advice. He was just like, mate, focus, lock in, et cetera, et cetera. Like, great advice. Anyway, I went in. The guy who was coming out of the audition room, literally, for me, was the character. He was the character. He was, he was like, Hayes. 
he was the character, man. Just because he was like older than me. He was like 40 or something. I was 25 at the time. So I was actually too young for the character. I was too young for the character. But uh, but my performance in that play meant that the creator of the Top Boy thought, okay, he thinks I could do the job. I went in. I remember I had a string vest on. You get me? I had like long twists and that. And I was thinking, let's, let's get it. And, I, and in that room was like... You know, just four people. The director, the guy who ended up directing. Um, ah, oh, this song's not gonna come to me when I need it, man. Ah, oh, it's a shame. It's not gonna come to me anyway. The guy who ended up directing a really big film recently, Reynaldo something, and some other people. They um, they were there, and then I first of all asked me a couple of questions. Then they said, "Do the audition." I did it. One reading. Okay, now try it like this. Next reading. Now try it like this. However you want. Third reading. Finished. Fit. And I walked out not knowing. I just thought, mm, could be mine, could be not mine. Oh, well, who knows? Bro, that was the Friday. On the Saturday morning, or that was the Thursday. On a Saturday morning, I'm on the phone to my boy in America. We're just talking about life normally. And then I just get a WhatsApp come through my phone. And it's Ronan Bennett, the creator of Top Boy. You did a great job on Thursday. The role is yours. Crazy. Bro, I was so gassed. I was so gassed. I remember calling my mum. You know, I called everybody, bro. I said, that's it. I'm in Top Boy. Wow. That's the NDA broken immediately. You get me? I'm going to be, but I didn't, don't get me wrong. I didn't tell the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it out. And that's how I got cast in Top Boy. Bro, that's that's the story of how I got cast. That's amazing. Yeah. Man. I can't, are you saying that um, you felt hella disappointing in regards to not being nominated for uh, Supporting Actor? And then the next day, company like, fuck it, I'm going to need the best performance I can. Just in case. Oh, right, not, not knowing, not not knowing anyone's yeah. going to be there, but you're saying there might be there, at a chance, off chance of someone be there. That mentality yeah. is sick because that what got you the role. So that's what I mean. And it was my, and, I, and I dug into my, my Tweedy mode. Sorry, bro, go on. Nah, but I was going to say, that goes back to your point about like, facing adversity. Yeah. Just that caused you to evolve and just like level up super saiyan bro it's it's that man it's that there's so many stories of people who haven't been good enough but worked uh, like david beckham bro he wasn't considered the most gifted footballer when he was younger but he cut off his social life and committed himself to nothing but learning to be the best free kick taker best curver of the ball when he ended up being a professional footballer he who was the best in the world at doing what he did no, it, was him. it was him and that's yeah. it it's my tweedy mode bro that's what i call it blaze my tweedy mode would you just okay i'm not the best footballer but i will box the box this whole pitch so much <laughs> that they can't forget what i'm able to do you get me yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what it was so yeah um again as we stated we are like big fans of the show uh, Hus, like talk to me about your experience with character he's because obviously he wasn't in the channel 4 series mm. so this was a new character and also it felt like you know the show had expanded you know he was in jamaica yeah, yeah. Like, what was your experience yeah. with that whole like uh, bro i think it was so sick here because like in like I think what as you said, like what the difference is okay when it did expand, all right. The one thing that the first season of World Channel Four series okay was missing was um, the the, um, the it was like that bridge, you know. Okay, you were the bridge, but uh, um, between where everything was 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 you know was coming from and stuff here. Whereas in the Channel Four series, it was very much like the ports and British, and you know it was locked in on the ends and yeah, and yeah, it was very locked in. Okay, maybe maybe that's a that's a that's a a, a budget thing, you know. Okay, but like we finally saw a bridge on how like the world is connected to what's going on in london or, or in you know, our small going, world yeah. what yeah how the how the outside world impacts our small exactly community. that yeah and yes yeah 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 because obviously i've got like um let's right be careful how you wear this brother yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
some people, yeah, okay, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like the experiences that my like when I grew up, okay, my beef with Top Boy was that people would 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 uh, they come to school yeah, and say, you know what, yeah, it's not that realistic, you know, and I was like, no, 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 the whole thing is generalized, right? You are supposed to are supposed to uh, relate with moments, right? And that's how I saw it, okay? I yeah, art is a distilled presentation of reality. It's not exact reality. Ex- yeah. Exactly that, yeah. exactly that, right? And I I I also understood that. What I loved about you was that. Um, you were a character that I've only heard about, you know, okay, like in real life. You were a character that I can only imagine. So to see that now in real life was dope as fuck. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's a really nice piece of feedback. Man, I hated my performance in Top Boy. I despise my performance. What? I find it hard to watch back. I can't watch it back. In fact, Top Boy sent me into depression. I'll tell you straight up. Uh, I was so unhappy about my performance that I just... I actually suffered like a serious crisis. Question on that. Mental crisis. Because the feedback of the series and of your performance was was massively positive. So what was it for you that didn't do it? All right, so, man. Hmm. Because loved the it, critics man. loved it. I, I saw you did the interview with the Evening Standard. Obviously, yeah. your profile would naturally raise because of the fact you're on such a monumental show. So yeah. what was it for you, for yourself? Because this was all self within you know mm-hmm. so you know in the theatre world I'd, I'd really become sort of like a like a, a respected talent in the theatre world and then this was like my big break and it just didn't hit how I wanted it to you know in a sense that like yeah okay critics were I did get a lot of good feedback from critics like I, you know the critics were really complimentary in my performance and so were a lot of casting directors and fellow actors you know Shopper Dirisu who plays the leading gangs of London we bumped into each other on Great Dean show, Street yeah, yeah amazing yeah, really we bumped to Can't Wait for Season 2 I um, he I bumped into him on Dean Street and he said I loved your performance in Top Boy um, Sam Adewumi who plays the lead in You Don't Know Me oh yeah same yeah. thing I saw him at Soho Theatre and he said the same thing to me I loved you in Top Boy my peers and they're my Nigerian Yoruba brothers by the way my peers they they gave me great feedback but you know what got me and I just we, but I'm so much more powerful now because I know how to deal with it it was all the parring me on I got a lot of people parring me on um, social media okay. on Twitter there was a lot of people cussing me out like oh, that dead Jamaican accent you know he's so wooden all of this kind of stuff so first of all with the accent the character's accent was supposed to be like a blend the bridge of, yeah. yep, do you perfect. see what I'm trying to say yep. the character was supposed, to, and was supposed to be like a blend of like it's, it's like a guy who's travelled a lot. Like you can imagine, this guy does business in America. Mm. He's done business in England. He's done business in Jamaica. He's travelled a lot. In my backstory, I had it that he had a very multi-national um, upbringing. Right. Right. Because I was trying to really a big element of the character was mystery. I was like mystique. Like he's 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 mysterious. Part of, you know the classic thing they say. There's nothing scarier than what you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Fear is the fear of the unknown. Well, I tried to really interject that quality of the unknown into the character. So yeah, even with accent, that, thank you, bro. So even with accent, it's like an accent that's hard to place. Right. Like, I just wish that maybe another character had a line like, "Where's he from?" Mm-hmm. You know what oh, I mean? Just yeah, a line yeah, like yeah, that. Like, yeah. "Where's this guy from?" Like, because I really did put work into making that accent hard to place. You see what I'm trying to say? Like, so that you would be more 
Oh, he's scary. It's like because you can't place him in your mind. He's he's cause he, so he sort of exists between lines. So he sort of gets into your subconscious in a particular way. And I remember I saw this tweet where somebody said, "Ah, oh, thinking I'm having sleep paralysis, but it's just haze from top wear." And I thought, <laughs> yes, that is what the character was almost. That's fucking you know funny. what I'm saying? But the fact is, um, you know, anyway, the character wasn't necessarily. You don't go into his backstory like that. So that's you know, in a way, I look back and I go, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But anyway, and just. Yeah, so but people don't just because you make those choices as an artist, it doesn't mean everybody has to understand it. Yeah, and because some people didn't understand it, they insulted it, and that really brought me down. I was a lot younger then, mm. not that much younger. This wasn't that not, not that long ago, but in terms of my maturity, I was younger. You know, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, with you. Can't lie, bro. Yeah. I saw you at uh, Tottenham Court Road. I, I think I mentioned it like Tottenham five episodes ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like I saw you come out, okay, and like I was definitely one of those staring dudes because I was on the phone and I was talking about the show actually, right? And then you were like walking past, and I was like, and the person that was talking, I said, oh, what's, 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 I, I, I just saw uh, uh, Trevor. <laughs> Literally, uh, and then you looked at me, and I looked at you, and I swear to God, bro, it was almost as if like we, we both knew why we're looking at each other, right? And then we, uh, uh, then we just went. Mm-hmm. I just walked away. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. And that's it. But then you know, so I felt really like bad, and I used to just think. I remember I used to sit, bro, and just watch episodes obsessively, yeah, and like, go to my scenes and say, I should have done this. Why did I do that? Like I'm telling you, bro, it was like a. If it was, if you were to put it in a film, it would be like a genuine tense scene mm-hmm. of watching somebody like. It's, it was OCD levels. Mm. I remember like inviting a girl to my flat at the time, and she just come to get high and chill out. Yeah. She just came to get high and chill out. And I ended up interrogating her about my performance. What did you think of that scene? <laughs> and if she said it was good, I said, no, it wasn't. <laughs> because you, I would be like, no, be honest with me. Because this part, blah, blah, blah. I would, bro, it was upsetting. Analyzing. I remember it was so deep that I remember at one point, bro, like speaking really openly, yeah, I got so down about it mm. that I, I remember just watching the scene and being like, oh, I see, man, I was terrible. I was I'm just getting so down. And the girl got so worried, she called my best friend and said, I think you need to come over because this guy's going through something. Mm. This was right after Top Boy came out. I was really going through it. I would just sit. I remember my brother saying to me, bro, you know, I really love this scene. I said, why are you lying, man? You don't think... As in, I was really sort of... You know what I'm saying? Hard myself. And this is the side of acting that a lot of people don't know about, bro. How you can beat yourself up. You ever watch Black Swan? Yeah. You ever watch Black Swan? Yeah. And oh, you've ever watched Whiplash? Yeah. Where they look yeah. at the intensity and the yeah. darkness of being gripped by your art. Well, that's what I was going through, bro. Like, I, I, I'm the person who... I really want things to be good, man. You get me, bro. And you spoke about... You spoke about us... You spoke about your childhood where you said you used to... Even now, actually, where you would watch a film and rewind it back yeah watch it again just to analyze and to make sure and then watch it again and yeah stop it even and i think that's the uh with all your respect the obsessive side of yeah. your character i guess would yeah, be fair to say so, bro but, i'm telling you and i was i'm telling you i was i remember like at the time the girl i was with she was so concerned for me mm. that she wrote every single scene of mine in top way and wrote, she's an actress and director and wrote notes on it yeah. Wrote like wrote me extensive notes. Another one of my boys was an actor, sick actor. He did the same thing because I kept speaking to my friends. They could hear that you're actually breaking down, mm. and they were all trying to like, all right, let's sit down and let's talk about it constructively because when we say you're good, you get angry at us. What, what helped you get out of that for anybody that's going through the same thing? What helped me get out of it was uh, getting cast in Guy Ritchie's Wrath of Man, <laughs> frankly speaking. You get me? It was like a validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt me feel validated that Guy Ritchie, one of the greatest British directors of all time, wanted me in his film. 
Amazing. After Top Boy, yeah. with that cast as well, by the way. Yeah, man, it made me think, man. Maybe okay, maybe there are a bunch of people that think I was crap, but then but but then there's these special people that thought I was good. Yeah. And also, just to sort of really cement down on something, my therapist at the time, I had a therapist because of what I was going through. I started getting therapy, and she said to me, "Whenever you do anything artistic, and I've worn this with me ever since," she said, "Whenever you do anything artistic." Imagine 100 people watch it, 50 hate it, 50 love it, and just think like that, mm. yeah? I used to be so concerned about bad feedback that when I did plays, I wouldn't go into the foyer. I would never, after the theatre, after the production was done, I wouldn't go into the bar and talk to people. I only did it on that one occasion because my lecturers were there. But generally speaking, I would avoid it because you know why? I was afraid of somebody saying I was shit. Mm. Fear would make me avoid talking to people. I would finish a production in the theatre and run out of the back. Because I didn't want somebody to come up to me and start talking to me and critiquing me. Because the problem is, I might turn up in that moment. If you start critiquing me, I'm in the comp- I'm too raw. I'm too vulnerable. Mm. So, I'm. I don't. My vulnerability in the moment doesn't. It, I don't withdraw. I just it emboldens me, but in a kind of dark way. I start getting irritated. You know what I'm trying to say? So. You know, my therapist just told me that you've got to learn to sort of process things in a way that whatever you do as an artist, 50 hate it, 50 love it. And no matter how much praise you get, you've got to still imagine that you just... Ex- balance, yeah, if, so if, every, if you're getting nothing but praise, just imagine that all you've been exposed to is a 50 that love it. Yeah. yeah. There is still 50 that hate it. Yeah. If you get nothing but bad feedback, just imagine all you're being exposed to is a 50 that hate it. Yeah. Yeah. There is still 50 people that love it. Yeah, so that's how... That's another reason that yeah. I got through it. Just to wrap up the Top Boy segment, for me, your character was... For me, personally, the first time that I'd saw Deshane really vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, he had lost a family member due to your connection with Sugar. Um, and this was the first time Deshane seemed as though he could be toppled. He could be taken down from, yeah. from the top of the top of the tree, top of the top yeah. of the I don't know, castle, you know? Yeah. Um, which I found it took his character to another place. It evolved yeah. his character. So your character took him somewhere else, which I thought was really, really cool. Mm. What was your experience like working with People like Kano and Ashley, obviously heroes to us, us guys as, as fans of the music scene. What was that like for you? Especially Kano, by the way. Kano is. Yeah, <laughs> so on the day I met Kano, I just want to say before I answer that question, in hindsight, when I look back at Top Boy, even though I still don't like my performance, I'm very proud of how bold it was. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of how bold it was. It was risky, and I'm not a safe person. Mm-hmm. And in a way, even though I was annoyed when I look back on it, it's so it, everything about it was so in line with who I am. I'm a very bold person, and I didn't get on that screen and just give a safe performance. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do anything safe. I did something bold, so bold that it polarized people, and I'm happy with that now. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick's my favorite filmmaker of all time, and none of his films were critically acclaimed when they came out. Mm-hmm. Right, they were all polarized people. It's only in years later, everybody, oh wow, those films were amazing. They're ahead of their time. I'm not trying to say I was ahead of my time. I'm trying to say that I polarized people, yeah, yeah. and I'm comfortable with that now. That's how I learned to marry myself to in to under to sort of being comfortable with it. But back to Kano and Ashley and Asher Waters. When I met Kano, um, I first said to him, "Man, I just want to say you're a legend. I look up to you, bro. Being from East London, East London, you know, the 58 bus from Leighton goes straight to where you're from, East Ham. Like, you know what I mean? We connected on that, and he's a legend. So I really gave him his praise for that." Working with Ashley Waters was really good. You know, Asher D is like, um, he's like a real sort of an institution, in my opinion, of British, yeah. of black British arts, but also just yeah. of British arts. He's been here forever. Yeah, he has. You, you, you consider this fact, right? You can go up to a 17 year old in 2022 that has an opinion on Ashley Waters that is likely to be positive, and you could have gone up to a 17 year old in 2003. Crazy. That had an opinion on Ashley Waters and it's likely to be positive. Yeah, involvement. Mm. 
Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like, the guy has been a figurehead of yeah. black British arts for years, yeah, which is mad, you know? He's evolved while staying relevant. Do you get me? Like, you, you see what I'm trying to say? Like, if you think of, like, the biggest black British artists in this country, in black British artists in this country, it's like, what? It's like Skepta, it's Dudu, it's Dudu, it's Baba. And Ashley Waters is one of them. Yeah. He is a goat of this country. So um, working with Ashley Waters was really cool because um, it was just great to be working with an institution of the arts. And also just just seeing him on set, like his focus, his clarity, his commitment and his precision. Let's get into Wraith of Man quickly. Yes. Raph, Raph I've of done it twice. Nope, yeah, nope. This is a post-credit scene podcast brought to you by 14HQ. Um, you, you spoke to us earlier about how you used some of the difficulties from your time on Top Boy to inspire you and you've, you landed yourself in an in a unreal role and an unreal film with one of the pinnacles of film and Guy Ritchie. Talk to us about your experience with Wrath of Man in terms of prior to it and obviously getting into it. What did you just do? I clapped for you because he said, said it right this time. You said it oh. right this time. Wrath of Man. All right, cool. You should have done that with some boldness, brother. <laughs> 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 Alright, geez, let me tell you how it goes, bro. Like, Wrath of Man was just so cool, man. I loved it, bro. Uh, working with Josh Hartnett, who I'd watched in like flipping films when I was younger. By the way, just to stop you, have you have any have you got I know you've seen the film. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Working with Jason Statham, working with Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's such a cool guy. He's guy, he's a cool guy, Ritchie. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, <laughs> no, Guy Ritchie's such a cool guy. Like he is um He's, he's direct, he's fun, he's playful, he's serious. He's very intellectual, but he doesn't try to show you that. He's just mm. like, he's just like a lad, you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. And like, um, I love the way he works. He's sort of, um, you know, none of the script, man, none of the script, the script is written, but he doesn't stick to it. So like, he might get on set with you, yeah? And he's like, he's gonna say to you, say the line was, leave it over there. So in the script, the line says, leave it over there. He'll be like, all right, go and say it. And you'll be like, leave it over there. He goes, yeah, all right, and try leave it there. And you like, leave it there. And he goes, mm, try, get away from it. And you like, get away from it. And he goes, mm, try, uh, just leave it. And you like, just leave it. He goes, yeah, I like that. All right, we'll go with that. That's how he works. But sometimes he wants you to do it yourself. That's dope. He, he, then after he's done it, if you want, he'll say to you, What's the line? And you might go, um, leave it there. Then he goes, say it in other ways. And you might go to him, leave it alone. He goes, try another way. And you just keep saying it in lots of ways. And he goes, let's go with that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be really with him. You understand? He makes you that's come up with lines. Yeah. Um, you know what? His films really get that across. Like, if you look at all that's his, it. Like, most famous films, obviously, Snatch. And then yeah. Like, uh, the Gentleman as well. And mm -hmm. It's because he understands that the best artist got a, has to have a quality of unpredictability to it in every aspect, right? Mm. Like Quentin Tarantino, right? He gets that as well. A lot of the Kanye West, right? What makes his music so good initially was it was unpredictable. It was to the bone. When something's un unpredictable, it makes it feel truer to life because you don't mm. know what's going to happen at any yeah. moment. Mm. Yeah. That car went past, it's black. You don't know that the next car coming is red. Mm. And that's what they try and do in the film. You see what I'm trying to say? So Guy Ritchie, I love the reason why his films have this pace to them. That kinetic that feeling... Kinetic. It's that it's because he's so in the moment. He directs and writes in the moment. Like he has his writers. Well, not his writers. He writes the films, but he like he collaborates. You obviously, you know, they have writers' rooms, right? Where they're all like bringing the ideas mm -hmm. to life in dialogue form. But the story's already set. Mm -hmm. They know what the story is, but you're trying to. How do we achieve it with the words? It's, a, it's a, there's a difference between. It's like the difference between. Anyway, look, there's a difference between being a story creator and being a writer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you're writing, you can have the story, but it's about bringing dialogue to the scene. Mm -hmm. You get me? So the scenes have already been written, but he likes to change it in a moment. That's what I really liked about working with him. You want to give us a particular scene that you can think of that, that you feel like you did that in? That from Yeah, man. Uh, 
there was a scene. Oh, okay, great one. So you know, there's a scene when I've got the gun right, and I'm on the phone. In fact, yeah. this is like my favorite scene in anything I've ever done. Okay, I'm on the phone right, and like my boy has just died right, and it's like you're getting the. He's just died, and I've got to call the police mm. or like some uh, like, and say, "Come and save us!" Basically, we're in a mad fuck situation, right? That had no writing in the script. That, Guy Ritchie said to me, "All right, this is what needs to happen in this scene. You need to get inside the lorry and you need to do a monologue about the fact that your boy's gone, right? And you need to call the police and tell them that you need protection straight away." He just says, "So you need to say this kind of thing. Get in and just freestyle." Do it how you would do it naturally, uh, bro. Yeah. I've never been in that situation. So what did I do? I took myself back to being an eight-year-old playing gladiator in my room with my brother. Mm. See what I'm trying to say? I was just playing. I said, "Okay, cool. Let's go." Free yourself. Grab the gun, and I just did it. Did a whole monologue, bro. Like no, no, no written dialogue. Just doing a monologue in an American accent in a lorry. Blah blah blah. Come on, get us. We're in trouble. Come on, hurry up. Yeah, you're just. You know what I'm saying? Looking at my guy, having to play the emotion, having to play the height, the stake of the situation. And when I finished, everybody on set just went. Well, let's go. And bro, wow, wow, that wow, there wow, was wow, like wow. my comeback moment. Like, man, Top Boy wasn't that bad after all. Yeah, like, you know yeah. I mean? That was the feeling. Like, that happened on set. Guy Richard, and you know, and you come up to me after, and he goes, "You, you've done a great job. Well done." And man, that was like one of that is probably the greatest artistic moment of my life, other than the fact, other than winning an Olivier Award, Flesh and Bone, Olivier Award. I have to mention that. You know what I'm saying? Because that was a great moment. That was an amazing moment. But other than that, yeah, that moment with Guy Ritchie, dream moment for me. You get me? Um, yeah. But like I, I want to just sort of tail off that. Is that like, as much as I enjoyed that, a lot of people say things to me like, "Why haven't you done more from since?" I have, like. But the thing is, you don't let other people define your dream for you. Mm-hmm. Acting, I love it, but it's not my dream. Mm-hmm. I just really need to point that out. My dream is to be a writer, director in theatre to make great plays and and, and I want to do films one day but that's my dream so I didn't let other people define my dream for me I define my dream for myself and I chased down the position that I'm currently in now which is that I'm the artist in residence at Soho Theatre Soho Theatre thank you yeah. and we are and we're opening a theatre in Walthamstow called Soho Theatre Walthamstow so there's going to be Soho Theatre and Soho Theatre Walthamstow and I'm employed by them to write work to direct work to commission work to scout to develop talent Amazing. do you know what I mean and it's, this is my dream job being an artist in residence being employed by a by a heavily respected artistic institution to be an artist, to be a child, to be to play, to literally use my imagination, that's my dream. And that's what I do for a living now. I still act, I still get auditions. I don't do all the auditions because I don't always want to act. There's only I only audition for the roles that really intrigue me. Yeah. If it's not that though, I'm, that's what I'm doing every day is I'm writing work, I'm directing, I'm being an artist and this, I'm literally living my dream life right now. That's so, yeah. that's so dope, man. Hey, what a way to rap as well. That's, that's so what dope. a way to rap. And I man. think, well, I think we'd all agree that all the trials and tribulations that you spoke about yeah. got you to the place that you're at today. Absolutely, man. And without those, you may not have been able to internalise the struggles and have elevated to the point where you're now artistic di- director and you can act when you want. Bro. You can direct when you want. That's it. It's a and choice. you can create when you want. Do you get choice. me? Every single day I get up and I head to the West <coughs> End and I go in and I write theatre. Mm. I direct theatre. I collaborate with artists. I, you, it's constant art, bro. I'm like a child who gets let in a toy box every day. So, you know, I'm so happy. And if not for every, Top Boy, Wrath of Man, the bad comments, Julia Danuga's critique, if not for all of that stuff, I wouldn't be here right now. So thank you for 
every single level of adversity I've faced because it's given me a resilience that's helped me get to where I am now. So, and also, thank God. That's the most important Amen. one. Amen. That's a, that's a fantastic way to wrap up the episode. Just firstly, as as we said before, we want to thank you for coming onto the podcast. Yes, it's a pleasure yeah. to be here. Um, cool, man. Big up you, man, being a bunch of brothers, having a podcast that isn't about dates <laughs> and about relationships. <laughs> we're, actually talk, that. we're artists. And it's great that we've got a podcast about the arts, which is what I love. That's, that is the aim, as, as I spoke to you about before the start of the podcast. So firstly, again, thank you so much for your time and your grace and the insight, bro. Oh. We really, really appreciate it. We've, we've listened more than we've spoken ever before, but we don't mind. We, we, we were really happy to, to hear your story and then thank share you. your story with the world. So thank you so much. much. Manny, thank you as always, bro. Hussam, the man himself. Jason, come on, you know the vibes. post credit scene, boys, over and out. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. This is a post-credit scene podcast brought to you by 14HQ.